When you need the independence to speak your mind, you take it on the all-new talk radio, Freedom 106.5 FM. You heard it here, Freedom 106.5 FM. The time now is 11.23 on the nose. And now we are going to our segment called Let's Talk Cancer with the Trinidad and Tobago Cancer Society. And today we have on Dr. Sandra Boxel, obstetrician and gynecologist. Dr. Boxel is an American board certified obstetrician and gynecologist. She received her tertiary education and medical training in the USA. Dr. Boxel attended Howard University for undergraduate and medical instruction and completed her residency at the Washington Hospital Center in Washington, D.C. She became an assistant professor of OBGYN at the University of Miami for three years before working as a full-time hospitalist at the Broward Medical Center in Florida. Dr. Boxel has been practicing in Trinidad since 2009 with over 20 years of experience in obstetrics and gynecology. Her, she holds a master's in public health and strives to integrate a holistic approach to her practice of medicine. Delivering babies is her passion, and she says that one of the best parts of her job is supporting her patients through their pregnancy and getting the opportunity to hand them their babies. So good afternoon to you, Ms. Boxel. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. And, uh, well, we're here to discuss... Uh, ovarian cancer and uh, the first question would be what are the risk factors for ovarian cancer well the biggest risk factor for ovarian cancer is going to be a family history about i would say a quarter of the patients that have um, ovarian cancer they have some fam familial um, relations so um, it may be breast cancer or what they call the BRCA gene in their families or they have a specific type of colon cancer that runs in the family. About 40% of people who have that gene in their family will get ovarian cancer. However, the rest of um, the population, there's certain things that you um, do or that happen to you that can make you at higher risk. So um, the more ovulations you've had in your lifetime, which would mean, or the more periods you've seen in your lifetime, the more likely you are to have um, ovarian cancer. So if you started your period, let's say less than 12, mm -hmm. and then you didn't go into menopause until after 50, 52, then you would have had a long space of um, during which you had multiple ovulations and that increases your risk. Um, things that decrease your risk would be like if you were on the birth control pill at some point in time, because then you weren't um, ovulating. If you um, got pregnant at some point in time, um, or multiple pregnancies can product actually um, protect you um, from um, ovarian cancer. If you breastfed, that decreases your risk of breast cancer as well. Um, certain mild things like uh, endometriosis um, does kind of increase your risk very slightly. And if you were exposed to radiation, that can increase your risk. And if you smoke, definitely that can increase your risk of um, ovarian cancer. Interesting. What are some? What are the common symptoms of ovarian cancer, and when should women seek medical attention if they experience these symptoms? Okay, so ovarian cancer is actually, or was known as what they call the silent killer, because the majority of patients we wouldn't be able by the time we were able to diagnose it, um, they were already end stage or late stage disease. I would say probably seventy five 
to 80% of people, by the time you make the diagnosis, the disease has already um, spread to other organs. Mm -hmm. But there are some subtle symptoms that um, I would want um, patients to be looking out for. So things like abdominal distension or bloating that's consistent or persistent, um, abdominal pain, um, and I would say um, gastrointestinal symptoms as well. So let's say you're having bloating, you're having pain, and then you're getting like an unexplained nausea or a decreased appetite, or you find yourself um, all of a sudden you can't hold much when you're trying to eat. They call that early satiety. But um, when you just can't hold that much like what you used to eat before, other things could be like constipation. These are like what they call very subtle symptoms of ovarian cancer. There's a triad that they described um, a few years ago, but it doesn't happen for everybody. But you can get like abdominal bloating, the abdominal pain, but urinary symptoms. So urgency, like you always have to go um, to, to the, the bathroom. bathroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that, that, and that's not, and it's not a UTI or urinary tract infection. Um, that's another thing that you look out for. Or you find all of a sudden you're getting those symptoms plus shortness of breath. Those kind of very subtle symptoms, I would recommend seeing a physician, a gynecologist in particular, to get um, an evaluation. Um, And the evaluation would include obviously getting a proper history from the patient um, and doing um, a proper pelvic exam, um, which would include like an abdominal exam, a pelvic exam. We even have to do sometimes rectal vaginal exams. People don't like it very much and it seems very weird, but Mm -hmm. it does give us a whole lot of um, information. The doctor should also be checking like the groin area to see if there are any swollen um, lymph nodes. Um, Depending on what the findings are from that, then they could decide if it is that they would recommend doing an ultrasound, um, a CT scan, or even um, what they call the tumor marker, the CA125, which is a blood test Mm -hmm. that we can sometimes um, use to help us or to kind of help us to figure out what's going on with the patient. So you just mentioned some of the screening and diagnostic tests that are available for ovarian cancer. Um, With the Trinidad and Tobago Cancer Society, are there uh, places that are available for us to uh, come in to do these diagnostic tests? Um, Yes. The Cancer Society has um, an ultrasound and a a fantastic radiologist that can read the ultrasounds, etc. But I would put things in context for you Mm -hmm. because the majority of regarding ovarian cancer does not support routine screening for ovarian cancer. Because what we've found is that um, unless you're high risk, which means you have a family history of, of ovarian cancer, or it is you have multiple of these symptoms together. So in a patient who has no symptoms at all, there's no, um, so none of the abdominal bloating, mm-hmm. none of the yeah, symptoms, and they just want to screen, there's really no screening for, for that patient because the the what they found is that you get a lot of false positive mm-hmm. results mm-hmm. in patients who don't have any symptoms at all and just want to screen. And you also get, um, potentially can get harm from the testing that they do. Um, and also there's a whole lot of mental anxiety that goes along with like a false positive or something like that. So if a patient has no symptoms at all, there's no need to do screening for ovarian cancer. If the patient has a family history of ovarian cancer, um, then yes, there's screening tests that we have for you, which would include the doctor's exam, the ultrasound, and potentially the CA125 or the blood test, which is the tumor marker. 
Mm-hmm. And if it is that you have a patient who's having all of these symptoms, which I mentioned before, so the abdominal pain, the distension, and maybe the gastrointestinal symptoms, then in that situation, doing the ultrasound, the CT scan, or even the um, CA-125 test, then that would be recommended for them. Okay. Is it true that uh, just like uh, they say with any type of cancer, your intake of food, the kinds of foods that you eat, is that also relevant for ovarian cancer? What foods should we stay away from? I mean, in all the literature, there is nothing that supports um, diet um, Mm -hmm. as a cause of the... um, as a cause of this particular cancer, to be fair. Um, g- genetics is pretty much all that we found. They even did some studies on people who were obese um, mm-hmm. to see if it is that obesity is linked to ovarian cancer. None of the studies have been conclusive in that regard. I mean, obviously if you're obese, then you're not healthy and you put yourself at other risk for cardiovascular and other things. But in terms of ovarian cancer in and of itself, I cannot necessarily say um, that diet contributes, but certain lifestyle things so like smoking definitely contributes um to um the risk of ovarian cancer and there's certain things that you can do that are potentially protective for it Mm -hmm. so let's say um you can take the birth control pill so the birth control pill will decrease your risk of getting ovarian even iud's or the intrauterine devices that we put in can decrease your risk you know i don't want to tell you to have children just for having or decreasing your risk of cancer but um to you know parity or having um been pregnant that does it breastfeeding for a longer period of time provides a protective effect other things that help are things like a tubal ligation um if it is you're finished having children and you get your tube side that will decrease your risk because you remove the um sometimes they remove the fallopian tubes and that's where they've um some of the data is suggesting that that's where the ovarian cancer actually starts in Mm -hmm. the epithelium or in the peritoneum of the tube of the the fallopian tube and then if it is that let's say you have to get a hysterectomy then they would recommend removing the ovaries and the tubes at the same time because that can also provide a protective effect for you all right well a lot of information to take in right now so what we're going to do we're going to take a short break and when we come back if you have questions for dr sandra You can send your messages via WhatsApp or we can take your phone calls at 627-3223-625-2257. All right, so let's take that short break now. October 15th, 2023, get ready for RBC Race for Kids, starting at RBC St. Clair and ending at QRC. Start time is 5.45 a.m. The RBC Race for the Kids is a compelling series of global charitable runs supporting children's causes, and that started as a single race in New York in 2009. RBC Race for the Kids has grown into a series of 25-plus family fun races that take place around the world. More than 360,000 thousand participants have raised over 82 million for youth charities across the globe come and support your members and come and support in your numbers going to take a short one and when we come back we've got more with dr sandra boxel so welcome back to freedom 106.5 fm and let's talk cancer with dr sandra boxel obstetrician and gynecologist yes doctor are you there I'm here. Yes. Okay, so my next question for you. Are there lifestyle changes or preventative measures that women can adopt to reduce their risk of ovarian cancer? Now, I know we discussed uh, uh, birth control and knowing Mm -hmm. your family's history. 
Uh, so yeah. I guess we touched on that already. Are there any extras that we may have missed out? Well, cigarette smoking mm-hmm. and um, potentially vaping. I mean, they're doing studies on that. Um, yeah, I think that would be... And then if it is that you have the opportunity to have surgery for something else and you remove the organs, then you don't have... That decreases your risk um, of ovarian cancers as well. Okay. And what advice do you have for women who have been diagnosed with ovarian cancer or who, or who are concerned about their risk of developing the disease? Well, first I would suggest you see your gynecologist and have an open discussion about what your symptoms are, if you have any at all. Um, if it is that you do have um, or you've been diagnosed with um, ovarian cancer, then you will need to see um, a GYN oncologist or a gynecologist oncologist because they specialize in this area. And depending on what stage of the disease that you have, then they can guide you. Um, And they can also give you prognosis, which is gonna be extremely important for people to be aware. So if it is that you get diagnosed with a stage one, then your five-year prognosis um, or life life expectancy at five years is gonna be extremely high. Versus Mm -hmm. if it is that you get diagnosed um, with late stage disease, then the five-year prognosis might not be as high. However, I would say like the the basis of treatment um, for the most part is doing what they call cytoreductive surgery or surgery. Um, so they do surgery to, to go in and kind of remove the, the ovaries, the tubes, the uterus, the lymph nodes, just to kind of get rid of the bulk of the disease and potentially after that, depending on what they find and spread, et cetera, then it is the gynecologist, the um, GYN oncologist will kind of guide patients on um, which types of chemotherapy would be um, recommended, um, mm-hmm. if at all, um, and also if it is that they would need any radiation therapy. These combination of treatments that you just mentioned, uh, the you said that it's basically like a five-year uh, life expectancy. What what would be no. Go ahead, sorry. What would be the chances if you do go along those treatments in terms of the chemotherapy, uh, radiation, how how does that help extending the prognosis? Well, it, basically how how like medicine works or how they define things is they define it in time, when, like time intervals. So mm-hmm. they put everything by your five-year um, life expectancy, like what percentage of the patients will still be alive at five years mm-hmm. um, or what percentage of the patients will still be alive at, let's say, 10 years. So if it is that you have early stage or a grade you know, one um, disease, then your likelihood of being alive at five years will be 90 plus percent versus if it is that you got diagnosed late stage. So let's say stage four when it's already um, all over your pelvis and potentially spread to the lungs or spread to other parts of the of the body, then your then your five year um, survival risk may only be let's say fifteen to twenty percent. So that's where all of the um, being very aware of yourself or self education and knowing where the symptoms come in because the reality is that quite a few of the patients, if not they said something like sixty percent of the patients have symptoms mm-hmm. prior to, but they never really. Um, so I followed um, up on it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they're getting the bloating or they're getting the belly pain. And like most Trinis and Caribbean people, they say it's gas. Right. Um, so then you've had that for two years and you can't possibly be having gas for a whole two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you they finally get to the doctor's office and get it evaluated, then they find out, you know, 
it has already spread. But if it is that you are aware of what the symptoms are, like the gastrointestinal symptoms and what to look out for, then as soon as those things happen and you get evaluated, your likelihood of being diagnosed earlier mm -hmm. is higher and your five-year survival rate would be the chances of being alive at five years is significantly higher as well. In terms of, um, well, you said early detection would be knowing your markers and knowing your family history and so on. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a question that I asked another practitioner earlier today. Do you all, uh, the Trinidad and Tobago Cancer Society, that is, do you uh, facilitate going to uh, younger groups in terms of university, secondary school children, so that they would be able to have a head start? Do you all offer programs like that? To be fair, I am not... 100% sure or not, mm -hmm. um, but I can get back to you. I think most of, not all of, a lot of what the Cancer Society provides is for people who have already been diagnosed and they do a lot of education. Mm -hmm. So this, you know, yeah, just education so people are aware of what's out there. And if you speak to like, let's say universities and younger people, I'll, I'll just kind of put a pin there because we do see um, ovarian cancers in women under 20. But it's not the classic, what they call epithelial cancer, which is the one that you that you generally see at a median age of about 63. The ones that you see under 20 are what they call germ cell tumors, and they tend to be a little bit more aggressive than, than the, the late stage ones. So young people do need to know about these things as well, because mm -hmm. the symptoms all um, sometimes can be quite similar, the abdominal pain, the bloating, and gastrointestinal symptoms. So, I mean, I'd have to speak to, um, the the cancer site in a little bit more detail but as far as i know it's just general education not necessarily that um we're working on that group but we probably should that's an excellent idea all right so i want to thank you so much for your information and discussing with us uh ovarian cancer one quick question you mentioned the, the age bracket of 60 and up is there like a, a median age for as you say there are no symptoms uh, we are not sure about our markers, but to come in for screenings, what would, what would be a good age to start that? Well, to be fair, you should be here. Mm -hmm. um, and if it is that you're going consistently, when you go, um, or when I have patients come and see me, um, we talk about stuff. And so the, we would review those symptoms and you'd be able to catch them. Even if you're not thinking about it, the doctor should be asking the questions so they'd be able to figure out, you know, is something awry here? Is something up here? And do we need to do further evaluation. So I wouldn't necessarily, necessarily state that you should start screening at 63. I think you should be going in, you know, from before you, you know, I would say most of the patients start, start seeing them at around probably 16, 17. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is education. And then they're doing, you know, pap smears are screening tests for cervical cancers. But a lot of patients also have this misunderstanding that the pap smear test for all gynecologic cancers, which it does not. It really is specific to cervical, but if it is that you're seeing the doctors, we'd be able to pick up the other stuff as we go along and we continue to just, you know, check the symptoms and hopefully catch the disease early. Well, thank you so much for your information, Dr. Sandra Boxel, obstetrician and gynecologist. Yes? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much. And you. All right. Thank you for having me. No problem. When you need the independence to speak your mind, you take it on the all new talk radio, Freedom, Freedom. 106.5 FM.